Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. When I was a kid, I was a nerd. You know, the kid who really likes math and science and always gets picked last for sports. Being a nerd was not at all cool back then. Maybe it's still not. (laughs) But I wanted to be cool. And what I really wanted was to be accepted. So in high school, I started making bad choices, hanging out with the wrong crowd, drinking and doing drugs. I still did okay in school because I wanted to please my parents too. But then I went to college at the UW and lived on campus there. People had told me how hard college was, but I got A's in my first quarter, so I thought, hey, this is easy. I can party all the time now. So I did. But you can't do well in school if you don't go to class. I'd always wanted to be an electrical engineer, but before long, my grades were so bad that it was no longer an option. That just made me party harder. My dreams were crushed. Then one day in a new class, I sat down next to a girl. I liked her. We started studying together so I could help her with her homework. I went to class every day. She was different than my friends. She was so positive and fun-loving, but she didn't party. I couldn't understand this. I discovered that she was a Christian. I wanted to learn more about this Christianity that was so important to her. So I pulled out a dusty old Bible I had, it smelled funny, and started reading it. I would ask her questions about it. I remember asking, what do you think about this part where Jesus comes back to earth and the world ends? She said she was looking forward to that very much, but she would also be sad because I would go to hell. I knew she was right. One day, a friend of hers gave me a little pamphlet that talked about God. The first thing it said was, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I had ruined my own plans. It said, man is sinful and separated from God. I always felt guilt and shame for the poor choices I was making. It said, Jesus came so that our sins can be forgiven and God can restore a right relationship with us. It said, by believing what the Bible says about Jesus and trusting our lives to him, we can know God's plan for our lives. So I did that. I made a choice to believe what God has said. I asked him to forgive my failures, and I asked him to take control of my life. My life changed. I was able to quit drugs and alcohol, something I'd tried many times before but failed. I finished college. I discovered real friends, the the right crowd in my church family. I finally found the acceptance I had been looking for, God's acceptance. Life's not always been easy, but I'm still living out his wonderful plan for my life. Let's pray. God, speak to me now through your word. Speak to us through your word, through me. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'll touch the people hearing this so that they can 
enable them to hear and understand what you want to say to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're in Acts. Remember, Paul had finished what we call his third missionary journey, including included spending three years in Ephesus. He made it back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. He met with the church leaders in Jerusalem and was taking a Nazarite vow to show the Jews that he was still committed to God. But they misunderstood and started a riot. The Roman commander grabbed Paul and put him in chains before the mob could kill him. <laughs> kind of a cliffhanger, right? <laughs> What's going to happen? So please turn in your Bibles to Acts 21, verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? So there's this Greek word for commander is uh, kiliarchos. It like, means a commander of a thousand troops. He was an important guy. Paul spoke to him may, when he said, May I say something to you? It was very proper and uh, polite Greek. And when the commander answered, Do you know Greek? It wasn't really a question. He was just surprised to be spoken to in proper Greek. You know, we, we live in a culture where mostly we hear English all the time, so the whole thing with multiple languages going on is, uh, is kind of different, might be kind of different for us. So verse 38, the commander continued, Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? So he had mistaken Paul. Will mentioned this last time. He had mistaken Paul for an Egyptian terrorist. I guess terrorists and fake news have been around for a long time. <laughs> Verse 39, but Paul said, I myself am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. Tarsus, the city, was known for its cultural, intellectual, and political significance. Paul was clearly trying to let the commander know that he was quite the opposite of a terrorist. He wanted to speak to the people who were trying to kill him. Why? Like Jesus, Paul loved these people and wanted them to really know God, even though they were trying to kill him. Verse 40, when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, mentioned motion to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, by the way, that Hebrew dialect is what we call Aramaic. It um, was spoken all over the whole region at that time. So chapter 22, verse 1, he said, Paul said, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. So now Paul is using really formal language in Hebrew. Although Paul had probably planned out the gist of what he was going to say, he let the Holy Spirit guide his words. And you can never go wrong with this approach. In Luke 12, 11, Jesus says, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Verse 2. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. Have you ever been in a place where the language being spoken 
by everyone is not English? I tell you, what do you do when you hear some English sp- spoken? You stop and listen carefully, right? And they were probably expecting to hear Greek. Verse 3, Paul says, I myself am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, in Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all here today. So when he says born, brought up, and educated, that was kind of a, a usual kind of a biographical formula. He was a hometown boy, zealous for the law, and he had been a Pharisee. Gamaliel, we've, we saw before in Acts 5.34, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people. So he was a well-known teacher and Pharisee. And it, later we'll read in Acts 26.5, Paul says, Since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that, I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. So Pharisees, we think of the guys that were really after Jesus. And it turned out they were after Jesus' followers, too. Verse 4, Paul says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. So the, it mentions the Council of the Elders. We, we also know that as the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. So Saul had been, a, had been a special agent of the high priest in Sanhedrin. We've heard Saul's story before back in Acts 9, but this time it's told from his own point of view. Verse 6. But it happened that as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. He mentions that it's around noontime. It means that it was much brighter than the sun. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. Something you don't see here, but it, you can see um, in the Greek is... It says, I am. It's spelled out like they don't usually write it that way unless it's important. I am like God's the great I am. I am Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus is telling Saul that he is God. And those who were, verse 9, and those who were with me saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? I just, I thought this was a, this is a great question. What shall I do, Lord? Shouldn't this be the first thing in our hearts when God speaks to us? Even if it's not with an audible voice, what do you want me to do, Jesus? Saul recognized in that moment that Jesus is God and he wanted to be useful to his master. Back verse 10, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up. And go on into Damascus, and there you'll be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. All that has been appointed for you. This, uh, this Greek word is tasso. It means it, 
everything that's it's designated, determined, assigned, figured out beforehand. In this form, it means that God already made plans for Saul's ministry. He's already done the same for us, too. He's got plans from the beginning of time. Verse 11, But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Verse 12, A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, the way that Paul is saying this appeals to the people that he's talking to, the Jewish people. He's saying Ananias was a godly man. Verse 13, he came to me and standing near to me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. He instantly got his sight back. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. When he says he has appointed you, it means he's chosen you for himself. And the righteous one is a, was a common title for the Messiah, the Christ. Verse 15, Ananias is still speaking. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. And when he says all men, it certainly includes the Gentiles. But the crowd that Paul was speaking to didn't realize that yet. We'll see why later. Verse 16, now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Yeah, we'd say, what are you waiting for? Just to be clear, don't misunderstand what this is saying. Baptism is not what washed sins away. It's salvation that does, being saved, calling on his name. Baptism is a symbol demonstrating that Jesus has saved us. Titus 3, 5 he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. In Romans ten twelve, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Clearly, that's where Paul's headed in his life. So there's two other versions of Paul's story in Acts. I already mentioned the first one in Acts 9. There's another one in Acts 26. Each of the versions is slightly different. Does that mean that the Bible is inconsistent? Maybe that Luke wrote it down wrong? No, it's not. Why the difference then? They had a different target audience. In Acts 9, Luke is describing the events as a third-party witness. We are the target audience. In this passage, the rioting Jews in Jerusalem are the tar target audience. And in Acts 26, we'll see a few weeks in the future, Paul is telling his story to King Agrippa. Good communication requires that we take our hearer or reader into account. It's just as true 2,000 years ago as it is today. You've got to know who you're talking to. Verse 17. 
It happened, this is Paul speaking again, it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance or had a vision. And I saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I was also standing by approving and watching up for the coats of those who were slaying him. So Paul's trying to convince God that they will listen to me. I'm sure they'll listen to me. And it's interesting that when he says your witness, Stephan, the Greek word for witness is martus, which is where we get the word martyr from. Really, you know, originally just meant witness, someone who testifies, but it came to mean one who dies on account of that testimony. So we read about this back in Acts 7.58. When they had driven Stephan out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And a little bit later in Acts 1, 8, 1, sorry, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. So back in, in uh, Acts 21, verse 21, and he said to me, go, for I myself will send you far away to the Gentiles. We're just going to look ahead. This is, this is where our passage ends. We're going to look ahead at the next verse just to get a glimpse. They listened to him, the Jews, listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Once he mentioned the Gentiles, it set them off again. He thought they were, he thought, they thought he was, well, they'd been deceived by the crowd that had come down from Asia Minor. So I have a challenge for you this week. The challenge is to write down or type or record your own story of how you became a Christian. It doesn't have to be dramatic or well-written. It's best if it's not too long. Keep it under five minutes. Have a target audience in mind. When I told my story today, my target audience was you. But I also made it for other people watching online. If you can see a theme running through your story, bring that out. My theme was acceptance which is still something I struggle with in my life. And try to stay away from Christianese. Words like testimony, conversion, salvation. These are not, there's nothing wrong with these words, but um, they're kind of jargon that's, we use, we know what they mean in the church, but people outside the church don't always know what they mean or think they mean something else. Try to use everyday words to express the same ideas, though. And add some humor. I, I mean, that's just one of my things. Because, <laughs> uh, I don't know, it just makes it more interesting. Rarely can I even watch a movie if it doesn't have humor in it. It's, it's got to have something to make you And, and as, you're, as you're making this, pray about it. Ask God to help you bring to mind some of the details. It might have been a long time ago. But, but what if you don't remember the moment that you decided to give your life to Christ? Or what if it was a process that took months, months 
or even years. That's okay. Focus on how your life was before and what, it is, what it's like after. Christ makes a difference in our lives. Talk about that difference. Another approach is to describe an event in your life when God was especially close to you. For a bonus, <laughs> try to include a simple gospel presentation so that someone who's listening, hearing your story, or reading it, will be able to make that same decision. For an extra bonus, <laughs> read it to someone and get their feedback. And if that person is not yet a Christian, it's even better. And now what if you've never made the decision to trust Christ with your life, to follow him? You can still do that now. Talk to Will or me after the service. Why am I asking you to think through and write down your story? Because although you may not know everything God says in his word, you are an expert on the things that have happened in your own life. And telling people how God has worked in your life is the best and most accurate testimony you can give. And God gets the glory. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you work in our lives. And I pray that you'll help us to remember that so we can not only tell others, but even just remind ourselves um, what a great and mighty God you are, how you've loved us and saved us from destruction. Thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.